thank you again, brothers and sisters, for joining us in our Bible study for today. We're going to be going through the book of Joshua. Actually, we're going to conclude our study of Joshua today with Joshua 24, which happens to be the last chapter of the book of Joshua. And so Joshua 24, it depicts the death of Joshua and what he did prior to his death. And so what did Joshua do before he died? Let's read the book of Joshua 24, verse 1. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, this is what Yahuwah, the God of Israel, says. And so prior to the death of Joshua, what did he decide to do? Well, to gather all the tribes of Israel not just the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officers. Yes, it included all of them, but he also included all the tribes of Israel because after all, he was going to pass away soon and he wanted to make sure the people of Israel would have a bright future. And so he gathers the people of Israel for a purpose and he gathers them in a place called Shechem. Now, Shechem happens to be a historical biblical place because in Shechem, well, that was the place where God promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land. And so after that promise of God, Abraham decides to build an altar. Genesis 12, 6 to 7. It was also in Shechem where Jacob built an altar. And it was also in Shechem where Jacob buried the idols that his family had brought with them. And also in Shechem, it's the place where Israel reaffirmed their covenant or their commitment to Yahuwah after the first phase of the conquest of Canaan. You can read all about that in the book of Joshua 8, 30 to 35. So Shechem is a historical place. It was a place of covenant. And so it is but right that in Shechem, before Joshua passes away, he gathers the tribes of Israel for a specific and very important purpose. If you notice in the passage in verse 1, all the tribes of Israel present themselves to who? To Yahuwah. Not simply to Joshua, but to Yahuwah. And then Joshua said to the people, this is what Yahuwah, the God of Israel, says. And so Yahuwah, God, is the one presenting something to the people of Israel before the death of Joshua. What was this? Yahuwah wants Israel before the passing of Joshua to renew their covenant. If you notice, if you study Bible history, it's often the practice of the people of God to commit and recommit themselves to the covenant that Yahuwah God has made with them. It's no different here. And so prior to the death of Joshua, he wanted to basically make sure that the people of Israel would be in good hands. And the only way for that to take place is when Yahuwah establishes and renews the covenant that he has made with Israel. So there's a renewing of the covenant. If you notice, Yahuwah, when he relates with people, the people of Israel specifically, he does so using a covenant. Now, what is a covenant? It's basically a treaty or a partnership or a tract or a pact made between two parties that is binding. So these two parties agree to a covenant that they will fulfill and vow to do. To honor the covenant means to fulfill what they have vowed according to the terms 
of the covenant. It turns out if you go to uh, do some archaeological digs in the ancient Near East, you're going to find many documents which have the structure of a covenant. These are called covenant documents. And so ancient civilizations, not just the people of God, during the time of Moses, the time of Joshua, it was evident that people or nations who would engage in partnerships or when they would have uh, peace treaties with other nations, they would draft a covenant document. And a covenant document in the ancient Near East tradition, it would have the following parts. It would have a preamble, a historical prologue, stipulations, a document clause, blessings and curses and covenant witnesses. And so it's, we can see that when Yahuwah interacts with people, when he interacts with his people Israel and drafts a covenant, he uses what the people are accustomed to, what the people can relate with, because Yahuwah wants not, not uh, to, to, to make sure that he is understood properly. And so because during that time, what was common when partnership for creator was called the covenant, and so he uses a covenant to establish a partnership, a relationship with the people of Israel. And so the preamble is the introduction of the parties of the covenant. So who are the two parties, right? The historical prologue is how the parties got to that, to that point. What was their history which brought them to this agreement? Stipulations, these are the terms of the covenant, what is required from one party, what is required from the other party. The document clause, it is a written reminder. And so when they draft a, a uh, covenant, they have a document. That's why we have a covenant document. And so it's something that is a written reminder. It also mentions the blessings and the curses. And so when people enter into covenant, whenever a covenant is broken, there's a curse. When the covenant is obeyed, there is a blessing. And so that's added in the covenant document. It's also a covenant witness. In this case, it is a way for other people or those who are not of the two parties to be privy to the terms of the covenant. So it was made public. So that's the structure of the covenant document. And it turns out the book of Joshua, chapter 24, kind of follows the pattern of the covenant document. We will see that. For example, the preamble. Who are the two parties that are going to come to an agreement? Well, let's look at Joshua 24.1. It is an agreement between the God of Israel and the tribes of Israel. And so Yahuwah establishes and reaffirms a covenant with the people of Israel. This is why the people of Israel presented themselves to God. And so this covenant is going to be binding. So that's the preamble. Now we have the historical prologue. Well, how did it get to that point? Why did they have a relationship in the first place? Why does Yahuwah God choose to establish a covenant with Israel in the first place? That's the historical prologue. And this is exactly what we find in Joshua chapter 24. In verses 2 down to 4, Joshua said to the people, this is what Yahuwah, the God of Israel, says long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. Take note, Abraham did not start out as 
one who knew God, as one who worshipped Yahuwah. He was a worshiper of false gods before he was called. This is why Abraham did not call God. Uh, God it was God who called Abraham. He was chosen. He was elected. And so he chooses Abraham, even though he and his ancestors worship other gods. But in verse 3, I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants uh, through his son Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. And so Yahuwah chooses Abraham, because keep in mind, we are looking into the historical prologue, the, how they got into a relationship in the first place. It all starts with a man named Abraham. God chooses Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. Abraham, I'm going to be a God to you and to your descendants. I'm going to make you into the father of many nations. And so he, he born to him was Isaac and then Jacob. And from Jacob, you have from Isaac, you have Jacob and Esau. And we know Esau and Jacob eventually generated two different nations. Esau was the father to the Edomites, Jacob, the father to the Israelites, and so you have here uh, two nations that come from Abraham, that come from Isaac, and so that's like the beginning. And so, what did Yahuwah continue to do? Well, he can he focused his attention not on uh, Esau and the Edomites, but Jacob, because he was the one who received the firstborn blessing. And so, in Joshua twenty-three verses four to five. I have allotted to you as your homeland all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the land of those who we have already conquered from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This land will be yours for Yahuwah your God will himself drive out all the people living there now. You will take possession of the land just as Yahuwah your God promised you. And so Yahuwah makes a promise to the descendants of Abraham. He will, he will be given land, and Yahuwah is going to deliver on his promise. And so even after they rejected Yahuwah repeatedly, I don't know if you can still recall um, how the people of Israel treated Yahuwah, Yahuwah was faithful to them. He fulfilled his promises. But again and again, what would the people of Israel do? They would commit idolatry and spiritual adultery. And they did not believe in Yahuwah. They lacked trust in him. And so they would fall and fall. There was one point when Yahuwah was about to exterminate the people of Israel. But Moses intervened. He mediated. And so they continue on their journey in the wilderness. And in the wilderness... Bible says, finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I destroyed them before you. I gave you victory over them, and you took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to him. Instead, I made Balaam bless you. And so I rescued you from Balaam. And so Yahuwah is reminding his people Israel 
But even though they were not faithful, he was faithful and he delivered them again and again from the hands of their enemies. And once they crossed the Jordan River, which of course the events have been depicted in the book of Joshua, when you cross the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them. And I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. And so the Bible is telling us about the sovereignty and the work of Yahuwah God's election and choosing of Abraham. Because he chose Abraham and made a promise to Abraham who means to keep that promise. Even if it will take all of human history to accomplish the finishing touches of that covenant. And so when we look at Bible history, what we actually read is Yahuwah fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Yeah. Because there will be setbacks, but Yahuwah does not give up on Israel. And so he will continue to work out a plan. And so what we read thus far from this historical prologue is that Yahuwah is the one who's providing for the people of Israel. And in verse 13, once they conquered the land, I gave you land you had not worked on. And I gave you towns you did not build. The towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. Do you know what, what picture that depicts? That is a picture of grace. When the people of Israel were given something that they don't deserve. Because they did not work for it. They got the land. They got the towns. They got the vineyards. They got the olive groves. All of that was from Yahuwah. It was his gift. To his people Israel because he chose them as he chose Abraham made a promise to him. So that's the historical prologue. This is why they become the people of God. And so that's what we have with the historical prologue. Now we find the stipulations, the terms of the covenant. It's pretty simple, really. Joshua 24 verse 14. So fear Yahuwah and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve Yahuwah alone. And so what were the stipulations of the covenant? They were to put away the idols. They were to reject the false gods. Put that away. And then they are to worship Yahuwah God wholeheartedly and worship him alone. And so... Yahuwah wants loyalty from his people. They are to worship and serve him and him alone. Part of the stipulation of the covenant. But if you refuse to serve Yahuwah, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve Yahuwah. And so they were called upon to make a choice. And I want you to understand, when it comes to entering a covenant, it should be based on your choice. A careful choice. Not a choice somebody else makes for you. Because that's not the proper way to enter into covenant. This is why Joshua tells them, make a choice. 
My family made a choice. As for my family and I, we're going to choose to serve Yahuwah God. So you have to make your choice. And so initially, what was the initial response of the people of Israel? The people replied, we would never abandon Yahuwah and serve other gods. For Yahuwah our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was Yahuwah who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve Yahuwah, for he alone is our God. And so the people replied by saying, we will not abandon Yahuwah. We saw what he did when he delivered the people of Israel from all of, from all of its enemies. And so he, they know that for them to continue, even without Joshua, they would have to serve. They would have to worship Yahuwah and him alone. He is the one who is preserving them. And so that's the stipulation. You also have the blessings and uh, the curses, what it means to obey and to keep the terms of the covenant. Joshua 24, 19 to 20. And Joshua warned the people, you are not able to serve Yahuwah, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon Yahuwah and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. And so what are um, the, uh, what are the blessings and the curses of the covenant? If they obey the terms of the covenant, Yahuwah God will be good to them. Yahuwah God will prosper them and bless them and provide them and preserve them. And this is what Joshua wants. This is why before he passes, he is Yahuwah God takes the people of Israel and Joshua begins to gather Israel and points them to Yahuwah. And Yahuwah has a message so that they can renew their covenant because that's the basis of their blessing. However, at the other end of that sword, if one were to refuse or break the terms of the covenant, what would that mean? Bible says they would be destroyed. And so either Yahuwah God will bless or he will destroy. So the people answered, but the people answered Joshua, no, we will serve Yahuwah. You are a witness to your own decision. Joshua said, you have chosen to serve Yahuwah. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. And so Joshua is telling the people, you made a commitment by choosing to serve Yahuwah and to reject the false gods, to destroy them. And so when they make that choice, they are to be held accountable. And this is something that's missing in a lot of people when it comes to their practice of their faith. They say a lot of things, but they don't hold themselves accountable. You know, when it comes to a covenant that we make with Yahuwah, there has to be accountability. And so here, Joshua makes sure that they will be held accountable. And he says to them, you yourselves will serve as a witness to each other. If you will obey, you will be blessed. But if you disobey, you should remind each other why Yahuwah God will abandon you. And so... Verse 23, all right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to Yahuwah, the God of Israel, 
the people said to Joshua, we will serve Yahuwah our God. We will obey him alone. And so that's the blessings and the curses. There's also a part in there where we have the document clause, which is a written reminder of the agreement that the people of Israel made to destroy the idols and to worship and serve Yahuwah alone. And so this was done in Shechem. In verse 25, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of Yahuwah. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instructions. And so there's a written reminder in the book of God's instructions so that the people of Israel would be reminded of the covenant that they made with Yahuwah there in Shechem prior to the death of Joshua. And lastly, there's also the covenant witness. It is a way by which other people will know that a covenant has been made. And so if there was an outsider, someone who did not belong to the people of Israel, they will come to know this people, they have made a covenant with Yahuwah. And so what was this covenant witness in Joshua 24, 26 to 28, as a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of Yahuwah. Joshua said to all the people, this stone has heard everything Yahuwah said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. When Joshua sent all the people away, then Joshua sent all the people away to their homelands. And so to complete the covenant uh, agreement, the renewal of the covenant, there's a huge stone. Now, when you think of a huge stone, <laughs> what do you think of? When you think of a huge stone, what comes to mind? Who's the rock? Yosha, right? And so he kind of will symbolic of what seals the covenant. It's the last part of the covenant as a witness, right? And so the stone has heard everything Yahuwah said to us. It's interesting. How can a stone hear unless it's pointing to something else, right? And so this rock, this huge stone is going to serve as a witness that this covenant has been renewed. It has been established between Yahuwah and his people, Israel. So that's a covenant document. Why is that important to us? It's important because we too, if we want a relationship with Yahuwah, we also enter what? A covenant. Isn't this what we talked about in the last episode of the Logos? I mean, the Logos itself, the Aleph Tav, the first and the last, it is speaking of a covenant marked by the cross. We know Yahushua said, I am the first and the last. He is the source of that covenant that was spoken of long ago, even before the Bible was written. There was the Aleph and the Tav. There was the Logos or plan of God concerning the covenant that will fulfill the promises Yahuwah made to Abraham. You see, Yahu, uh, Abraham and the people of Israel, 
they could not meet the requirements of the covenant. This covenant that was drafted, it was broken so many times, right? I mean, how many times was this covenant broken? How many times? One time, I can't even count, right? And so what does Yahuwah do? He creates another covenant. Why? So that this covenant and Yahuwah's promise he made to Abraham can finally be fulfilled. Because in that covenant, there are precious promises that await fulfillment. And so this covenant tells us what Yahuwah requires from his people. And also it tells us the weakness of the people in terms of their inability to meet the requirements and the terms of the covenant and why another covenant is to be made. That's the Aleph Tav. Who's that? Yahushua. And so how does Yahushua become the Aleph Tav? How does he become the covenant, the new covenant? And so we look at the preamble, the historical prologue, the stipulations, the document clause, the blessing and curses of the covenant witnesses, and it matches what we find in the gospel. In, the, in for example, the preamble, that is in Hebrews 9.15, the historical prologue in Galatians 3.26-29, the stipulations, Romans 6.1-8, the document clause, Corinthians 15.34, John 3.16, blessings and curses, Hebrews 10, 19-22, the covenant witness, Acts 1.8, Matthew 10.32-33. Really quickly, let's go through the preamble, Hebrews 9.15. Hebrews 9.15 says, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who were called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So here in Hebrews 9.15, it identifies for us the preamble of the new covenant. What does the preamble tell us again? What does it inform us about the preamble? The two parties that come into agreement. Who's that? Yahuwah through Yahusha and those who are called. Do you know what the meaning of church is in the Holy Bible? When you read the word church, for example, in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, I will build my church. The word church in Greek is what word? Ecclesia. Do you know what that stands for? Ecclesia. Is that referring to the buildings? No, it's referring to the People, the people who are called, called out ones. And so this covenant is between Yahuwah through Yahusha, Yahuwah and Yahusha. And the covenant is being made with the ecclesia, the called out ones. And so those who want to be a part of the covenant, they enter the ecclesia, the, the assembly of called out ones. This is why. When we were thinking of our ministry group, we decided to call it the assembly of Yahusha because that's the proper word that is um, represented by the word ecclesia, the assembly of the called out ones called to the name of Yahusha. So that's the preamble. It is between Yahusha and the ecclesia. How about the historical prologue? Let's read. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Yahushua, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism 
have put on the character of Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Yahusha. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his ears, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And so, in the historical prologue, Yahuwah traces the historicity of how Yahusha has come to establish the ecclesia. What is that purpose? What was the purpose of Yahusha in establishing the ecclesia? How did the two parties, Yahusha and the Ecclesia, come to that point where they make a covenant? It is to fulfill the promise Yahuwah made to who? Abraham. Remember, in Joshua, when the, the covenant was being renewed, and in the historical prologue, what does Yahuwah God do? He traces the history of Israel to who? Abraham. Remember what we read in the Holy Bible. It's the unfolding of events that seek to fulfill the promise Yahuwah made to Abraham. But that promise is always being set back because of the sin of the people of Israel. And so Yahushua is the final and the perfect solution. And through him, the promises will be fulfilled. And this is why through Yahushua, the children of Abraham will not just be the Israelites, even the Gentiles. And so that's the historical prologue. Well, how about the stipulations? What are the terms of the covenant? Uh, Romans 6, 1 to 4, we talked about how baptism and is the way by which we enter into a relationship or a covenant. And so what are the stipulations? Well, those who are baptized and enter into a covenant with Yahushua, they must be dead to sin, right? And what's, what is the promise for those who are going to be dead to sin? In Romans 6, 5 to 8, uh, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And so we have the responsibility in the terms of the covenant, to put away the old sinful self because it was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives because after all, the purpose of the baptism is to set us free from the power of sin so that we can live in him. So those are the terms of the covenant. Well, how about the document clause? What was written? Well, the basis of that document clause is uh, what we find in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the basis of the covenant. It's about believing in who? Yahushua, being the son of God. We also know the word believe is not simply an intellectual belief. It is the Greek word which means to commit yourself, to tie yourself, to bind yourself to Yahushua. And so we surrender to Yahushua. That's what the covenant is all about. And when researchers 
were looking into the authenticity of the New Testament books, they discovered what are called creeds. Do you know what, are, what creeds are? They're written uh, documents. And actually, they are verbal documents. It's kind of weird to say verbal document. But a creed basically is a set of beliefs that's passed on verbally from one, pers from one person to the next so that they can encapsulate their faith. And so after Yahushua died, they wanted to pass on their faith. And Apostle Paul, before when he was first converted into the faith, he noticed that the Christians were passing along these creeds. And these creeds were very important because it was the essence. It was, you can say, it was part, it was uh, what documented their, uh, their covenant. And this is it in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. This is one of the creeds, one of the earliest Christian creeds. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead, and on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And so prior to the letters of the Apostle Paul, before the Gospels were written, what was being passed around were the creeds. It was passed from one faithful person to another. This is how Christianity spread so fast. The passing on of these creeds. And the existence of these creeds actually is the reason why many, if not all, historians, scholars who are not Christians believe in the authenticity of and the historicity of Yahusha and the Christian faith. Okay, because of these creeds. And so it provides like a document clause for the covenant of the Christian faith. And so that's uh, in Corinthians 15, 3 down to 4. We also have the blessings and the curses in Hebrews 10. And this is what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Yahushua. By his death, Yahushua opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain in the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, full trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So the blessings and the curses are included here in Hebrews 10. Those who enter into covenant, they are blessed. And the blessing is this new life-giving way through the curtain. In other words, those who are in the covenant, they have access to the presence of Yahuwah. That's the blessing. Well, what is the curse for those who reject that blessing? In 25 to 26, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only one terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. And that's 
something that we have to take to heart. That's a warning concerning those who basically reject the covenant. One way that you don't obey the terms of the covenant is when we neglect our meeting together for worship. Because the covenant was created so that we can relate to Yahuwah. We can enter the most holy place and experience our Father when we worship together through the name of his beloved Son. This is why Yahushua said, he said, whenever the two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am there in your midst. And so we need to really be devoted and committed when it comes to our worship gatherings. Because that's why we were given this covenant. And so the part, when it comes to the covenant, we have our part. Yahuwah has his part. He'll be our God. And what is our part? To worship him, right? Yes, we can worship in person. We can worship like by praising him, reading our Bible. But the Bible also tells us that Yahuwah wants us to have a congregational worship service where we are together to worship him in spirit and truth. And the Bible says we need to all the more be active when it comes to worshiping God together as a congregation when the return of our king is drawing near. Beloved brethren, do you believe that Yahushua is coming back soon? Yes. The signs are all being fulfilled. And so now is the time to really intensify the fervency of our worship. Otherwise, if we deliberately neglect our meeting together, if we deliberately continue sinning, Bible says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, instead a terrible expectation of God's judgment. And so that's part of the uh, blessings and curses. And also we have the covenant witnesses. Who do you think? I mean, what will witness to the covenant that we have with Yahuwah? In the book of Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so those who are privileged to have been called to have a part in this covenant, to enter into covenant with our King Yahushua, we have been empowered to become the witnesses of Yahuwah. And to be the witnesses of Yahushua. What does that mean? We have to tell the people about Yahushua. This is part of the covenant agreement. And we bind ourselves to that agreement. You enter into a covenant with Yahushua, then we have to tell people about him. That's what he wants us to do. And this is what we're doing in the assembly. Is it not? This is why we have Bible studies like this. We have the BHP, we have the Logos, we have the BQA, we have the worship services. What do we do? We proclaim Yahuwah. We proclaim Yahushua. And in doing so, what do we also let the people know? Let's read Matthew 10, 32, 33. Those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. But those who reject me publicly, I will reject before my Father in heaven. Heaven. So the Bible tells us we need to declare publicly that we belong to Yahushua. That way the people will serve as a witness to the covenant that we've made with Yahushua. And so our proclaiming of the teachings of Yahuwah and Yahushua 
and our public confession that we belong to him serve as a witness so that people who don't belong to the covenant relationship yet, they will know that there is such a thing as this covenant. And so that is what we proclaim. This is why we registered. People say when we were registering the Assembly of Yahushua, there were some who were asking, why do you need to register? That's one way we can declare publicly. That's one way we can officially tell the people, we belong to who? Yahushua, right? We publicly declare using what people in this world do. Back then, it was a covenant document. And during our time, when people make official declarations, they do so by registering. And so we registered as the assembly of Yahushua. But even more than that, we held a special worship service, December 12, 2020. How many here remember this worship service when we gathered together for the first time and dedicated basically the assembly of Yahushua? And we made a promise to the Father that we will worship Yahuwah, we will worship Yahusha, and that we will proclaim and be witnesses to the whole world about the works of salvation. This was December 12, 2020. And so it was kind of good. We, we, we affirm our commitment to Yahuwah and to Yahusha. And so it's good practice because if you read the history of the people of God, they would often reaffirm your commitment. And so it's good practice that yearly we reaffirm our commitment to Yahuwah and to Yahushua. This is why in commemoration with the anniversary of the dedication of the Assembly of Yahushua, we are going to have a special anniversary Thanksgiving worship service for the Assembly of, Yahu uh, Assembly of Yahushua and Yahuwah, right? This will be in person and online Saturday, December 9, 2023 at 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard and so when we reaffirm our covenant or, and we affirm our commitment to be loyal and faithful to Yahuwah and to Yahusha, let us keep in mind you know, the covenant document and how we can truly promise that we will be dedicated in fulfilling our end of the terms of the covenant. I don't know if you know this, but in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua repeated several times about Yahuwah's kindness and about his warning concerning destruction. And for example, in Joshua 24, 19, he said that Joshua warned the people because he was sensing that the people of Israel, they were not really into the covenant. They were not serious about their commitment. And so repeatedly, he had to warn the people, do not break the covenant. And so what did he want from the people of Israel? To be serious about entering into covenant, to be serious about reaffirming the covenant. This is why he said to them, you have to make a choice. You see, brethren, we cannot casually reaffirm our covenant with Yahuwah. We cannot casually do that. Because what is at stake? Is so it is really eternity, eternity. This is why when we affirm and we affirm our covenant, we have to make sure that our mind, our heart, and our actions are in alignment. In other words, we have to be committed. Commitment to doing what? 
destroy the idols and turn our hearts to Yahuwah. That's the choice. Joshua wanted the people of Israel to make a true choice. A choice that's not being coerced into them. But a choice that comes from within, from their heart. A choice that is from their mind. They make, it, they make up their mind that they will obey Yahuwah wholeheartedly. And that requires commitment. That's what Joshua was wanting to get from the people of Israel. A choice. That means commitment. Because he's going to pass away. And so they need to commit themselves to the choice of entering and renewing this covenant with Yahuwah. And commitment means breaking the covenant must not be an option. That was the level of commitment Joshua wanted from the people of Israel. This reminds me of a story about a military general. They were going to go to, to an island to conquer this island, but the foes who are over there are much more numerous and much more powerful than they were. And so the general, when they took their ships and got to the island, he burned the boats and he told his soldiers, we burned the boats. If you want to go back to your homeland, there's only one way, there's only one thing, there's only one way that can happen. You have to defeat these enemies. That's what you call commitment, right? And that was what Joshua wanted from the people of Israel. So that when they renew that covenant, it comes with conviction and commitment. This is also what Jehovah wants from each and every one of us today. And so after that, Joshua 24, 29, 30, almost done. After this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of Yahuwah, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. So finally, after the covenant has been renewed, Joshua passes. And in verse 31, the people of Israel served Yahuwah throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that Yahuwah had done for Israel. So that's kind of how Joshua ends. Joshua ends with the death and the burial of the leader, Joshua. Right? But before we conclude, and this is an important part of our study. What seems to be missing in the conclusion of the book of Joshua? We just concluded Joshua. It ends with the death and the burial. <laughs> right? Death, burial. And when you think of Yahusha, death, burial, resurrection. What's missing? What is missing in the concluding Verses of the book of Joshua. Any guesses? No? Maybe you can type it there on, if you're watching, if you're on Facebook, you can type your answer. What's missing? This is what's missing. And this has been a mystery to me for the longest time. What's missing in the concluding chapters of Joshua? Because it has his death, it has his burial. But this is missing. He has no successor. Did Joshua fail? 
Did Joshua fail? Why does he not have a successor? When Moses was about to pass, what did Yahuwah tell him to do? Appoint a successor. And the one who chose was who? Yahuwah. Yahuwah chose Joshua to be the successor of Moses. Here is Joshua. He's about to pass. Yahuwah tells him to gather the people of Israel and Shechem to renew the covenant. But then he doesn't tell him to appoint a successor. Right? So he dies and is buried. No successor. And so for the longest time, this has been bothering me for many years, actually. And so I had no idea. And so I searched Google and they offer different theories, but it doesn't make any sense. Because you can't find the answer. It doesn't explicitly tell you why Yahuwah does not appoint a successor. Until I look at Judges. The very first verse of the book of Judges is actually where we find the answer. We should have jumped to Judges 1, verse 1, because that's where the answer is. Why did Yahuwah not appoint a successor to Joshua? Joshua, I mean, in Judges 1, 1 to 2, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites, what did they do? Ask Yahuwah, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? Do you see the answer? Do you see the answer? What's the answer? Huh? What's the answer to why Yahuwah did not appoint a successor? Because when Joshua was still around, when they had to make a decision, what would they do? They would go to Joshua. Joshua, what are we going to do? When Moses was still around, what did they do? Moses, what are we going to do? Now, what did they do? <laughs> the Israelites asked Yahuwah, right? Which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? Did Yahuwah respond? In verse 2, Yahuwah answered Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. And so does that give you a clue as to why possibly Yahuwah does not give a successor to Joshua? What does Yahuwah want? After all these years, after witnessing deliverance from Egypt, providing for their needs in the wilderness, helping them conquer the land in, in the promised land, all of this has been done. What does Yahuwah expect from his people? Yeah, Yahuwah seems to want his people to depend on him, him more than their leaders, right? And Yahuwah is looking at his people. You should be mature now. You have gone through so much. Why do you think Joshua took the time to reaffirm the covenant, which includes the historical prologue? Joshua was telling them, you need to be serious when you reaffirm the covenant with Yahuwah. How serious? You have to depend on him with every choice and every decision that you make, right? And in the first verse, so far, so good. 
in Judges. But it goes downhill after that, which is what we will discover when we study the book of Judges. And we know from the history of Israel, well, the people of Israel who should have trusted Yahuwah, they demand for a king, right? They go back to how they started before. So Yahuwah says, okay, let them have the king. Well, we know what happens, what happens after that. Eventually, they betray Yahuwah and they go to captivity. This is why another aspect of why Yahuwah did not appoint a successor is found here in Hebrews 8, 7 to 8. The first covenant had been, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says Yahuwah, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So why did Yahuwah decide not to have a successor? Well, number one, because he wants the people really to trust him fully, to trust and depend him more than human leaders, number one. Number two, basically highlight it doesn't matter who succeeds Joshua. It doesn't matter. The problem with the first covenant is the people. <laughs> Yahuwah said the fault, the first covenant had a fault. And the fault was not with the terms of the covenant or the covenant itself. The problem was the weakness. You get it? The human weakness of people. As human beings, we cannot keep the terms of the covenant. And so what does Yehovah God do? He creates a second covenant to address the, the issue of human weakness. And how, through the new covenant, is the issue of human weakness addressed? 8 verse 10. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, says Yehovah, I will put my laws in their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so what was Yehovah God's solution? It is the power of the Spirit that will put the laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. But for this to happen, for this new covenant to enable human beings to have the laws in their minds and in their hearts, who has to be the mediator? Someone much, much better than Moses, much, much better than Joshua, and that someone cannot be just any human being. This is why for the covenant to truly fulfill its purpose and meaning and the promises to, that Jehovah God made to Abraham to be finally fulfilled, it has to be a greater successor. <laughs> you see that? Who must that be? The greater Joshua. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who were called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And so that's why there was no successor because Joshua was a type of Yahushua. And when he died and he was buried, it pointed to Yahusha who will die, get buried, but he would be resurrected to usher in the new covenant. With the new covenant, 
the issue about human weakness will be solved. And so everything was being set up for the better and perfect Joshua. Because with the better and perfect Joshua, who is Yahushua, now we solve the problem of human weakness so that we can keep the covenant. You know what that is? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Ephesians 3, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow, uh, will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And so Yahusha addresses the problem of human weakness by sacrificing himself as the perfect sacrifice to satisfy the need, the, the requirements of the first covenant. And number two, to empower us through the power of his spirit so that we are no longer weak, but we can have strength. We can be empowered by his spirit in us, Christ Yahusha in our hearts, so that we can grow in our strength, okay? And so it all points to Yahusha, the perfect and better Joshua, the true successor, the perfect one, the one who will usher in and bring forth finally the promise that Yahuwah made to who? Abraham. Because the promise Yahuwah God made to Abraham, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. But it will be when Yahusha returns. Because when he returns, the millennial kingdom will start. And the promise Yahuwah God made long ago will be fulfilled. The requirements of the first covenant would be satisfied and he would be given the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and most holy Father, thank you, gracious Yahuwah Abba, for the blessings that you have bestowed upon all of us. Thank you for your grace, mercy, and love. Thank you for always thinking of us. We know, Father, that you made a promise long ago to your friend Abraham. And we know when you make a promise, you will indeed deliver and fulfill them. For you are Yahuwah. You speak the truth. You have power to deliver. And you have the love. So that we, even though we are faulty and weak, we will remain in covenant with you. May you bless each one of us, Father, that we will make the choice. The choice to reaffirm our covenant with you. And not simply to utter mere words, but to truly mean it from the very bottom of our hearts. Our King Yahushua, we thank you for calling us into the assembly. Help us that we will do our part. That we will declare you publicly. Proclaim you as, our, as witnesses to your majesty, to your glory, and to your work of salvation. May you stand by our side at all times and help us to overcome all things. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed all of us, O oh Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.